What is is that Fleetwood Mac from like the when is it from? It could be anywhere between 1977 <laughs> and 1982. I think <laughs> they were around earlier. They were they were a blues band. Is that is that Fleetwood Mac with uh, like the women in it? Yes. Okay. So yeah. it's it's when yeah Stevie Nicks is in it, but yeah. she's not the singer on that part. She like Christine McVie. It's the same album that so has. That's Lindsey Buckingham. Yeah. Yeah. Anyway. Yeah. Uh, cool. That sounds cool. Yeah. Uh, welcome to the license episode thirty-five. Infinity license. Infinity license yeah. uh, with Brian Pisano and, and Lenny DeFranco, which is me. Hi, Lenny. And uh, Brian, um, how you doing this week? I'm doing okay. I had, I got jacked up on uh, some Kofifi today, so I'm trying to cool down a little bit. Is and that I'm, cocaine or? Nope. Cool. It's just a good old fashioned Dunky Donnie's coffee. Just doing a bunch of Dunkin' Donuts cocaine. Just doing, exactly. They, that's what they sell there now. Uh, you can use Apple Pay too, which is great. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, you know, you couldn't do that. Like, I mean, th- there's some certain benefits to being in the modern age, and one of them <laughs> is using Apple Pay for your Kofi fee. And nice. <laughs> um, um, so, uh, so this is a uh, a day in which um, uh, there we had a, a statement. Um, we got a, we got a bunch to talk about this week. Uh, Brian, why don't you run down what we're going to talk about? Yeah, we got. I mean, there was a statement. There was actually the march March for Our Lives that happened this past weekend, and today uh, an op-ed in the New York Times by John, Supreme Court Justice John Paul Stevens. Uh, relating to our country's epidemic, not with the flu, but with the flu of guns, <laughs> the open flu of ammunition that's coming into our classrooms across the country. Uh, we also last week we had we had a very newsy week. We did some gumshoe journalism this week, Lenny. We went out into the field and we were at Cynthia Nixon's event at the Stonewall Inn. I was thrilled to be part of that group of fashionables rooting on our next governor. Next governor <laughs> I can't of say the, the straight face of the. Great state of New York, Excelsior! The great state of New York City. Yeah, of New York City, exactly. Uh, and, and and there's been some news. We're, we're gearing up for the uh, NFL draft, but in the NFL offseason, there's some stuff going on that we could uh, we could discuss. There's there's always NFL news, even when the games aren't being played. Uh, so let's dive into uh, what happened today. Um, there was uh, no shootings today, and I don't think anyone got fired from the White House. So it was kind of a slow day by comparison. That's true. Um, it was the day after they fired uh, like sixty Russian diplomats, but you know that, that's not even the first time. And two days something after. like that has happened. That's happened like a couple months ago too. So that's it, not even a big deal anymore. It's funny how that story. I listened to the BBC radio on the way to work, and it's funny how that story is all they're talking about. And here we're just like, whatever. We did. Like, it's really not a big deal. Um, well, what did happen today is we did have a an an opinion, an editorial opinion from John Paul Stevens, an op ed piece. Uh, in the New York Times uh, regarding a or advocating for a repeal of the Second Amendment. Yeah, and basically what um, I think the the article was basically kind of implying was, you know, Stevens is, is a more liberal justice, um, and uh, what he's basically saying is that there, the Second Amendment has been bastardized, um, to, you know, over the last couple of years. I, the, the, the case that he cited specifically was uh, Heller in 2008, which famously was like one of Scalia's crowning moments. And um, he, he kind of implied that until you get rid of the Second Amendment, it's going to continue. Like this mal malappropriation of it is going to continue. Yeah. Um, which he cited Warren Berger as having said that this is like the worst fraud perpetrated by a special special interest group on the American people in history or something like that, and uh, and and Stevens's um, recommended prescription is let's just get rid of the Second Amendment. It's outdated, um, 
And uh, it's it, this comes on the heels of like a pretty active week. I, they're all active weeks now with with guns. Uh, ever since the Parkland shooting, and the um, and the, the teenagers that have proven themselves more politically adept than the actual lawmakers. The hog. <laughs> what is the hog? That, that's his name. The kid David Hog. That's his, that's like one of the kids, the Parkland kids, who's out there. Is he one of the kids that shot the people? No, he's one of the kids who's he's a he's the good guy. He's what a, if one of the Parkland teenagers became a shooter? Oh, that would be pretty horrible. <laughs> what if one of them got so uh, disillusioned with life after having failed to achieve their legislative priorities that they just turned to violence and shot up? I feel like this a is rally. A, this is actually probably what's going on concurrently or in parallel in some of our alt right shows that are that are going on. They're probably just like, I think one of these kids is going to create a false flag operation, but convert over to our side but i mean in the realm of like you know uh, what what is the weak link of this political party they're all teenagers they got to be pretty easy targets for like some psyops you know if there was some kind of mk ultra run by either the government or you know some like you know mercer some giant forehead benefactor (laughs) um they could easily target one of these kids and make him go nuts on the other parkland kids well that that if you Again. fell down the Alex Jones part of the internet during after the Newtown massacre, you saw that instantly people were like, "It's a false flag operation." There's the, these are all crisis actors, which people are accusing the kid David Hogg of being and uh, Emma Garcia of being crisis actors. There, Gonzalez. Gonzalez. I'm sorry. God damn it. Um, it's it's really just disheartening. And, and there's a huge. I don't know if it's just more reactive voices on the internet, so it makes it seem like it's more popular than it is. But if those people are believing this are more willing to believe just some kind of weird YouTube narrative analysis that the Illuminati for some reason are looking to put us in FEMA camps and, and that you were going to be John Rambo style protecting your homestead with an AR-15 from the secret Illuminati death squads that are coming to your, your house. Then I just feel like it's pretty hopeless to, to think otherwise. And even the people that the, 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 the people that aren't part of that weird YouTube culture just like guns by default and don't, don't see it as their don't see it as an intrusion in the government. And no matter what happens, like somebody shooting up a high school in Florida or somebody opening fire during a country music concert on the Las Vegas trip and not only killing 50 people, but injuring over 200. It's like, I, I don't know. I don't know if there's any recourse or any legislation. I yeah. mean, it, 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 I, I, it, I understand the culturally that I agree that nothing's going to happen. I understand culturally that to them, um, it is a form of expressive individualism. Like it is, a, it's an embrace of a very cherished cultural tradition that says that the government. I want to live in a society where the government trusts me with a gun. I have a great deal of disdain for the anti-tyranny crowd that thinks that they're actually achieving some sort of policy aim uh, with by having a gun. That's a fantasy. Yeah, we've talked about this on this podcast before. That actually, um, there are a very there are some applications where like having a gun would actually help you achieve some sort of legislative aim, but it would mostly be by, through violence, achieving something that the law should be handling anyway. Right. Um, like, basically, you can't deviate that far from it. You can't resist the government using a gun anymore. Right. Certainly not since they got the atomic bomb 70 years ago. Right. So, the atomic, or you just even, like, drones. Or, <laughs> right. But, but I also... I, and, and there is evidence that it would, that it would curtail, uh, you know, some of, like, the more dramatic uh, types of violence... But I also understand um, that they they don't attribute that type of violence to the existence of guns. Um, I think they see that more as like, hey, this is a, another manifestation of the alienation that I feel too as an angry you know white guy or whatever. And so the problem is is the fact that they're all making us feel alienated. 
you know, I'm sure that an average, you know, super NRA person, if you thought of Hillary Clinton and like the you know, the globalists or whatever, whatever their particular uh, kink is in terms of getting off on politics, they probably would get really like face reddeningly, boilingly angry, yeah. thinking about what they've done to us. And I think what they would, what they're getting angry at in that case, you know, if they start to think about just I can't, I, I we can't let Hillary Clinton become president. What they're reacting to is the sense of this modern alienation that I'm sure they much more attribute, you know, school shootings to than the presence of this gun, which very few of the which actually commit crimes um, and which they probably have like three of themselves. Um, what I want to say about YouTube, because YouTube had a thing this week where they, they banned a bunch of gun videos. YouTube, is, it's an interesting thing because I, I've watched a lot of YouTube gun videos. I have ASMR, as Same. you know. <laughs> Same. We, well, that's oh, a different we, podcast we episode. Debate, we should debate on a, on a future podcast whether you actually have ASMR. I definitely do. You can't, And also, you can't steal my ASMR valor because I definitely have ASMR. I, oh, yeah. that's a good... I would <laughs> like... I'd want to challenge you on that. Yeah. Okay, we'll, okay, do, so it we'll do that later. Yeah. So anyway, one of the things that has... Uh, that, that sometimes... Like if I really can't sleep and it's like 3 a.m., I will pull up a gun video on YouTube, and I think the part of the reason is because I like the clickety clack noises of like the guy showing off his his gun. But there also is a, a certain aspect to YouTube gun culture, which I am kind of claiming to be pretty like immersed in, mm-hmm. uh, not actively on a daily basis, but like I've seen many many of these videos. Um, what's notable about them is that a lot of them are really expert in it. Like gun culture is a very, I want to say loving culture. Like they are, they take very immense pride in like gun safety in respecting the weapon and understanding everything about how it works and understanding all the history. They more so than other, other types of pursuits. I mean, this is truly a revered pursuit for them. And, um, and so I, and I say that because since, you know, the way that the YouTube ban has been kind of presented this week is sort of like along the same lines of like, you know, there was another story where Citibank said that they were going to stop doing business with um, gun with, with uh, partners that whatever that didn't uh, with corporate clients that didn't rate adhere to some new standard of like, I don't sell guns to 18 year olds, which, by the way, if there's one of the dumbest regulations in the United States to emulate, it's the idea of 21 versus 18 yeah. that make you eligible for something. Right. <laughs> like it doesn't work. I mean, if, if there's one thing we learned from that, it's that 19 year olds are going to get AR 15s. Like yeah. just the, way, the same way that 19 year olds buy Natty light at Tiger Mart. Just, just shifting that to with like the moving the alcohol has legitimate, like there's a little gym. It's like science man moving actually the alcohol age to, 21 that kind of stuff there's d- debatable but like at least is there science i thought that was a nixon era thing to encourage just like a moralizing thing is that was that based on actual neurological science no it was actually because most states did it in the in the early 80s actually um and it was it's based on it is based on science like that your brain is actually not maturing or fully matured until you're at least 21 years old and so but it's after that like for men your our brain stopped maturing like in at 25 or yeah, something like that. But I think it's like as far as your frontal lobe development and certain like emotional I, I who knows. I guess I could cite a different study, but I read something about how it's like alcohol and other drugs before 21. It's like a lot of like prevention in alcoholism if you if you do it before 21. If you don't even touch anything before 21, your risks of becoming an alcoholic or a drug a drug addict drop like precipitously. So even if you drink after 21, like that, like that's the science behind it. Is that okay. like there's there's a lower risk of you becoming addicted to something. And actually, I guess the same logic also applies to like your odds of shooting up a building. And right. like a 19, 20 year old kid is probably like boy specifically is probably way more at risk of doing that. Right. Like, but anyway, like um, the kid who did, like did all the kids who have done yeah. this, all these fucking yeah. like. 
I mean, I'm totally down for like profiling like young, disaffected men. Oh yeah, they're they're the ones that do it. Like, yeah. But anyway, um, yeah. So I mean, I I, I think the, the other thing I wanted to say about the gun thing and the developments that have been happening is that um, there's this idea trending right now that it's this is travesty that that the laws haven't caught up with what our demographic specifically like super liberal insulated people um, feel should be done about guns, and I think that that's um, I think it's right. I mean, like, power to everyone trying to make something happen on this issue. They're going to save lives if they get any legislation passed, especially if there's a blue wave, yep. you know, that, that can actually pass something like this, although Trump would... Actually, Trump would pass it. I mean, he would well, always have to do that's actually, that was pos- possible. Yeah. But, but what I, what I want to say is that um, I think that it's okay to, to ad- acknowledge that there's another use of the law aside from leading ahead of where society is. Uh, a la the Civil Rights Act and kind of, you know, shooting, like aiming, yeah, aiming ahead of where you currently are. And and that other use of the law that's a, that's probably even more valid is reflecting society's current norms. So an example of this is like marijuana legalization. Mm-hmm. Marijuana legalization, once it finally happens, inevitably, is not going to be a controversial issue whatsoever. It's going to be settled culturally, and therefore the law will be reflecting the wishes of society. And all of these actions taking place in the culture to counter the influence of 21st century weaponry to a 18th century, you know, amendment um, are going to, by the time we end up settling this, um, because it, it it's going to make it more stable a resolution to the gun problem. Yeah. Because there is a huge amount of cultural work to be done if you want to get any kind of sensible gun control passed. That's my point. And... Um, and and doing that is going to be the work of like a generation or two, and um, and maybe put, putting radical ideas like repealing a 18th century law up where you could basically fire one bullet every like 20 minutes, <laughs> <laughs> like, like is a is a good idea. Um, anyway, do you want to talk about uh, our yeah, na- now lead, back lead into us, yeah. now back to our, our coastal back to the coastal elite report. <laughs> <laughs> But yeah, so Len- Lenny and I went to an event last week. We braved the snow and went to the Stonewall Inn. Yeah, so yeah, Brian and I, uh, last week, we uh, decided to, to go to Cynthia Nixon's launch party and uh, had, a, had a gay old time. We did. And so, uh, yeah, like we, uh, it was, it was kind of cool to be a part of. Um, you know, I think that before that, we had already decided that this was something we were interested in supporting. Um, and uh, we went there and we met a bunch of really cool people. Um, and uh, we actually talked to some of them uh, impromptu what on our a, phones. This was our best dipping our toes in the water of journalism because this was the first event in New York City I've ever been to where everyone was just volunteering to talk to you. Like yeah. it, it was like usually like you kind of, there's kind of a coldness where people are like no, I'm too cool to talk to anybody else. But this was you walked in and people were interested. Like why are you here? Like why is any everyone was interested or instantly curious to see why other people were here? Yeah, so and cool. so this. Um, well, I'll I'll play a clip that I recorded with um, my new friend Lisa. Uh, she was basically uh, saying that uh, this is something that's kind of interested her as a new resident, and is she's like, you know, like most people, doesn't like Cuomo. Lisa, how did you? What do you know about Cynthia Nixon besides uh, Miranda? Um, I know she's been really involved with advocating for public schools in New York, and I really believe in public education. And I think we need more people who really believe in public education to be in government because I feel like it hasn't it hasn't necessarily been a priority. Like there's this increasing privatization. 
it's what's weird about Cynthia Nixon to me is that she is known for representing New York as a luxury brand and kind of trying to make it like very progressive is sort of the opposite of that. Yeah. Don't you think that's kind of weird? Like Miranda is not who you think of for like yeah. public schools. Well, I mean, I mean, I feel like if it was like Charlotte or Carrie, that would be a little more dubious. But I Charlotte think, would be a good like comptroller, maybe. Right, or she'd be like a good like press secretary. But like, but I feel, I mean, Miranda was always the smart one. Yeah, she was. Right, always, right, she was right. always the one who. She was actually, also more level-headed too. Yeah, exactly. So, um, yeah, but this is also just interesting because uh, during the last governor's race, I had really just moved to New York, and I didn't, I was just kind of finding my bearings on a lot of levels, and now that I've been here for longer, I feel like this is the first time where I I feel a part of the city, and I feel like I have a stake yeah. in local politics in a way I didn't really feel. What do you do? Um, I am a writer and an adjunct professor and a Trader Joe's crew member. Uh, do Trader Joe's people have to freebase ecstasy before they go to work, because that's how happy you always are. No, that's how. That's like why that one of the qualities for like hiring people, like they 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 screen they pre-screen for that beforehand. Pre-basing, they call it in Trader yeah. Joe's lingo. Yeah. Um, and also, you don't like Cuomo, right? No, no, fuck okay. Cuomo. <laughs> that's a good one. That was really good. <laughs> so, who did you who did you talk to? Yeah. Um, so I talked to Azim, who's a financial analyst, who is a little bit more on the fence about uh, things, but uh, he's. He had some interesting opinions, I think. I'm sorry. What was your name again? Azim. Azim. Yeah. All right. And Azim, uh, why? Are, why are you? Why you? What made you come out for the Cynthia Nixon event today? Um, because there was nobody at work. Easy to get in. <laughs> Plus, more importantly, I think she's a genuine person. You know what? You got to give people a chance. So, I'm here. Uh, I like that. Uh, what would be like a posi- What would be a position that would really tilt you in the favor of, of Cynthia? I mean, I need to hear the plan in terms of like the schooling that she has pitched and what's specifics there are and if they're realistic or not um, and then you know not just that like you know being a governor of New York you know it's a lot more than that so it has to be more of a multi-layered approach towards things you know subways to schools to like you know welfare and like, all of that issues cleanliness you know it has to be like a broader not just like one tier the sort of like perspective uh, and then I'm all about specifics I work in finance so we go down to details and we can tell initially what's going to work or not, what businesses are going to fail or, you know. So I think I'll be putting that hat on and analyzing it in a way that analyzes businesses and, you know. Nice. Yeah, the, the analyst approach to democratic politics. politics. Do you, so do you think, though, but do you think you mentioned the MTA there. Do you think that, like, a, a running on a platform of the MTA being, like, fixed and the governor fixing the MTA would help her in, like, would help her in her favor? I mean, 100%, because when you talk about issues about New York City, or New York State, MTA is probably the lifeblood for everything, right? Uh, millions and millions of people take it every day and they're complaining and it's just getting worse. And just to throw some stats at you, 10 years ago, the efficiency was in the high 90s, right? Now it's in the high six, high, mid to high 60s, right? By efficiency, I mean like what percentage of trains run on time or gets you from point A to point B. 
And if you compare it to other big cities, right? Right. right Tokyo, London, right. San cities, Francisco, yeah. Yeah. wherever have like underground trains, they all have their you know efficiencies in the high 90s, which is like a big difference. And then just New York being a central of the hub and all of that, and so much money coming in through taxes and stuff. Like, despite that, if you have bad trains, yeah, yeah. that says something about yeah, you. So uh, yeah, that was, so that was Azim. Yeah. By the I way, said th- this guy, this guy was the one who, as soon as uh, Cynthia Nixon stopped talking, uh, there she was kind of standing on stage. Everyone's cheering, and uh, someone ran up to her from the crowd. And uh, we thought it was like a functionary or something like that. And it was actually Azeem. No, when I saw it, I was like, it's Azeem. I was so excited. (laughs) That's Azeem. That's Azeem. And he he took a selfie with her. And he was like extremely purposeful. No, like fangirling. He just was like, I I, I am determined to get it. Yeah, he was on a mission. And uh, yeah, thanks Azeem for that interview too. Um, I think he... Um, he had brought up good points uh, about a the the MTA. What I actually didn't realize, but he brought up, and we have to double check the statistics. But is that like big international cities like Tokyo, Paris, um, London have much higher efficiency rates in their public transportation system? Um, you know that that's going to be a huge, huge point. Yeah, of totally. I, and yeah. I hope she runs on a strap pairing agenda, and because that I am you know very support. Like I, I that's the thing I interact with most daily, um, but. Also, what he said was really, I, I like that statement that what does that say about the city if your trains aren't running on time? I mean, that's like an important thing for working class people, for, you know, for the actual population of the city. Yeah. You know, the thing that I'm, I'm kind of afraid of is, um, let me put it this way. I, am, I think we're both interested in this candidacy um, and hopeful, uh, not... <laughs> I think she's a longer shot than he thought she was. He, he, yeah. he, Azim put her at like over 50%, which is pretty funny. But um, I mean, mostly this is like a statement mm-hmm. thing. And the last time that we had a big protest vote candidate was Donald Trump and he became president. And I bemoaned the fact that he was someone who had no expertise. you know. And I think that one question that you know anyone who supports or is interested in Cynthia Nixon has to answer is why is she not on the why should she not be held to the same standard of expertise that we would denigrate Trump for you know i i think that you that's a it's a valid question because she she is a person that's an actor she definitely has a career in activism and progressive uh politics and being an advocate uh in the in the uh, philanthropy kind of field of things um, Cuomo, though, is also an example of somebody who is on the bill, kind of like an experienced politician and a po- career politics kind of guy who got there via nepotism, certainly in, in some ways, because it, it, he's lived his entire life in politics. His, you know, his father was a governor of New York, a very powerful governor of New York State in a very interesting time. Um, but he's the guy who he kind of gets rode into office very popularly the first time. Uh, on a wave of saying like, hey, I know how the machine works. I'm going to make the machine a well-oiled machine. Second time he he comes against a... So the first election he won by more than 60% against a field of like kind of a, a clown car of candidates, including Jim McMillan and Carl Palladino, this racist cartoon of a of a Republican candidate. The second time around, he a. actually a Republican candidate. A, a, yeah, exactly. But Carl Palladino, look him up. There's actually some like hilarious, but also awful, like racist shit around him. Um, 
Uh, the, so then he won in a landslide on this kind of precedent of just being like, I'm an experienced, look, I've had my years, uh, you know, in New York po- politics. I know how to get this done. I know how to work on behalf of the people. Next time around, actually, his, his his margins, he still won by a pretty significant margin, but not by that much against Rob Astorino, actually a neighbor of mine growing up. And uh, my dad was a big supporter of um, Rob Astorino didn't really have uh, really didn't have a chance in hell. He's a pro-life candidate in New York State. But um, has been a life, also has been a lifelong New York State uh, Republican, and also knows the New York, New York State pol- political machine really well. So has been a political operator his whole life. So Cynthia Nixon comes along and offers this kind of outsider candidate with some experience. I don't think she'd ever be on the ballot. You won't be on the ballot in New York State for a lot of reasons if you don't also, and, and in addition to your celebrity, also have some kind of like exposure to politics and exposure to political experience. Cynthia Nixon's wife is actually, I think, pretty involved with the Democratic Party. So she's that's in the de Blasio administration. Yeah, exactly. So she, she had so, to leave the de Blasio administration. Exactly. So so she's so she is uh you know she is a de Blasio Democrat in that way. I think that in her case, it's I I think it people will see it on the surface and be like, oh, this is just another celebrity protest candidate. But if you look at it, and I think. Uh, after filing for governor and going through the whole process of what it takes to file for governor, which is arduous in New York State, and especially to challenge a political institution like like Governor Cuomo, um, you do have to have some skin in the game and you, and have to have at least, in my mind, at least some kind of um, angle for organizing for politics. My, my thing is this. like I understand... Um, if you're running for Congress or like Senator you know, House Representatives or something, you can get by on just being an ideologue because you're basically there to be like a glorified talking head if you're a congressman um, or a senator. And, um, but if you're the governor, you're an executive. And, and it's actually an accountable position. And um, it's uh, a lot of – it's a huge state. you know. Yeah. So I, I, I understand the idea that simply shifting the priorities and, and, and defining – um, in a way that the electorate actually wants what your priorities are is important as an executive. But like the reason the trains don't run on time is probably not so much an ideological position of anyone's as it is a strategic calculation to give you know funds to upstate projects as opposed to ours. Um, so like what do you think a defines like a good governor yeah to be a good governor uh in new york it's it's very and cuomo understands this i think a little bit so maybe it's going in his favor but i also don't think i think he's he's worked that angle too hard to his detriment where it's like you do have to play people against each other and we talked about it last we talked about the independent democratic caucus who are democrats who get kickbacks essentially for democrats that vote republican from cuomo so he's like kind of play playing this shell game of just being like oh well you know like i can't do it my hands are tied because the senator this the new york state senate is voting all this way and i have to appease you know so and so in schenectady uh, and sorry sorry new york city you don't you don't get it we can't cut out the budget the mta doesn't help that the the uh, mayor of New York City and the governor are completely at odds with each other. I, I think that's that's part of like a, a grudge match, which is exists. such a personal petty bullshit. Oh, thing. absolutely. I mean, it is. And you you know you look at these guys in Washington who like Lindsey Graham. Who had, do you realize what I would do to someone if they gave my cell phone number out in public? <laughs> like it would at least certainly let's say it'd be a personal falling out. Yeah. But they forgive each other because in politics they're all prostitutes, and you may as well let personal grievances die. The fact that Cuomo and De Blasio pe- personally pettily hate each other to the degree that they do actually getting in the way of real policy you know administrative functions is insanely 
I mean, he's he's well, unf- on that grounds. He's kind of to, unfit. Well, to, to the point of it's Cuomo hates it because he's frustrated by De Blasio. It's because he's like, I have to play ball with all these people that I've made backroom deals with in Albany and in Western New York and upstate New York, and you're making it a lot harder because you're you're doing all these things where you want more money for schools, and I'm just going to screw you and give that money to charter schools or whatever. You want more money for universal pre-K. It's like, okay, if you want that, then I'm going to boost my charter school agenda, which is what Cynthia Nixon is actually running on, where she's like, no, we need to do like an actual legitimate public education system and reform it. Um, uh, or like he's, he's doing it in the way he's like, well, I can just, you know, if the MTA doesn't run, half of New York City doesn't understand that the like they blame de Blasio for the MTA when it's kind of really out of his hands. Like uh, it's, it's it totally in the governor's budget. What makes a good governor is appropriating budget, a budget in a way that you can, you, you can administrate for your constituents and get them what they need to have a successful economy and functioning life. That's not insane. Uh, but uh, which is what our lives are in New York City. They're all insane. <laughs> but it's funny. It's kind of ironic though that this power grab from like the '60s of the you know Albany of the MTA, yeah, um, has it, it's like backfiring now because I mean if it wasn't for the MTA, Cynthia Nixon would not be running for governor. No, it, to so many, let's say all of the people in the states, you know, primary economic engine, which is putting it mildly, which you know New York City, what. Cuomo represents is the guy who I blame for the MTA, you know? And so it's kind of like, if he's so experienced, how could he not have understood that he could stay in, in office for way longer if he just represented a functional, you know, commute to work to all of these New York, all of these, you know, New York city residents. I think this, this is, that, that's, that is, that is a eminently bad strategy for a politician. So it goes to show what his qualification is. It's ultimately, it, but it also ultimately goes to show that his kowtowing, and it's what we talked about in the last episode too, where his, his bowing down to the needs of trying to look like a centrist Clinton Democrat, where it's like, look, I can play both sides. I work with Democrats and Republicans and we come to a bipartisan deal. And, it, you know, like, so when he brings that to the national stage where he's like, look, I work in a heavy blue state, but we have all these Republican constituents that I make happy. And most of them are pissed off anyway. There's just not enough of them to really vote <laughs> them out. They like, they hate him they hate him because they didn't like half of the southern tier hates him because their neighbors across the border in pennsylvania were allowed to frack the shit out of their land and they weren't so like a bunch of people in northeastern pennsylvania and north central pennsylvania got like essentially loaded off the same shale like a fracking shale that cuomo didn't allow which is good i mean ultimately it's good i'm glad he didn't allow people to blow up the half the country and poison the drinking water but at the same time he like he he wanted it it was like not out of for the sake of protection of the people it seems like it was more out of the sake of saying hey look i can play both sides and do this where it's like well the people of new york city who are like i said last time are the main economic drivers of the state and actually cities i honestly think like cities like buffalo cities like syracuse new york uh, Syracuse, which used to be a huge industrial, and on top of just like the university and all that stuff, it was a huge industrial engine for the, the state, is not that anymore. And those places, if they have a resurgence, will probably lean a little bit more like left-wing de- Democrat. Um, Interesting if they could let out their natural animal energies. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> the animal spirits. Um, but I think that the, so in his mind he's still, he's still operating on the old playbook where he's he hasn't adapted to the new game he hasn't used sabermetrics to see that like hey in the Donald post Donald Trump universe he's still playing by the the Clinton game where he's like okay I can play both sides I can be seen as a as a uniter and a reformer and like a person who can bring people together uh, while not actually doing those things and I think Cynthia Nixon is highlighting all those things where it's like hey you're not doing it FYI also I mean the biggest part of your state that really wants this stuff like the the 
the subway is running on time is really pissed off at you right now. So you better do something to to fix that. Yeah. (laughs) And like, you know, an actor wouldn't have been my choice, but there's literally, I don't see anyone else running against him right now. Um, And certainly no one running from the left. And um, I mean, like, let's not pretend that Andrew Cuomo's own background doesn't make you hate politics, too. Like, yeah, maybe it's a flaw in the system that, like, someone who has no experience could run. But I don't think that I think that what's even more un-American than, you know, voting for people based on celebrity. And by the way, she's not that big of a celebrity. Like, if she wins, it won't be because she's Oprah. Yeah. Um, But what's even more un-American than that is insisting that they be some, like, professed, avowed apparatchik, you know, for life, like Paul Ryan or something, who's literally known no other enterprise in their life. Um, Politics is not like flying a plane or, like, doing heart surgery because there's objective measures of success for those things. Politics, you want to have someone, especially at the executive level, delivering results as you just mentioned but what's also important is that you want to make sure that the priorities are aligned with what the the populace wants and when that's not being reflected especially by someone who putatively should be doing that like that you know the democratic party's you know professed you know the governor who, who has a d next to his name then the democratic small d solution to that is to is to energetically replace that person with someone who does and you know that person hopefully will surround themselves with people who know how to manage the bureaucracy of the state. But but politics is is not flying a plane. It it it, it the, the it can be judged a success just by being oriented in the right direction. Well, and that's what that's what drives me nuts. I I hundred percent agree with you. And what drives Although me nuts? It's not ideal. I want to say it's not ideal. I'd rather have someone who knows what they're doing and a president who like wasn't you know. But like Trump was a legitimately democratic moment, and like that is something to be appreciated, even though he's a fucking idiot himself. Yeah, and here's the thing: it's like, yeah, okay, like it, the act actors and uh, people of public note in that set can cash in initially on their on their public uh, public lives to just get, gain some momentum. But I I still don't think I think if it's a true politic political system, that's not going to sustain you the whole way. So if she goes really far and gets momentum, it's not just on her being like you said. She's not this superstar celebrity she's a person who's on a very popular show but she's also clearly a very smart person and 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 if it's an actor if it's a baseball manager whoever if it's a smart person that can like 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 can manage a group of people and get them like a movement of people together i think they're smart enough to administer the state of new york you just want daryl strawberry to become the mayor oh no that would be disastrous (laughs) then we'd have then then new york would join the league of crack smoking mayors along with with toronto that's actually a surprisingly large league yeah i know right there's got to be other ones besides CC and Toronto too. Those are all league standouts. But the thing, the thing that drives me nuts, a to your point about how it's like, well, pe- well, people that just they want these politico machines, like people that understand, or like, I, I really hate that about actually, like I think the insiders of the Democrat, the Democratic Party is a huge perpetrator of this. They're just like, and the, the they're like, well, the only people that are good for it are people that were like lawyers who were also affiliated with like some kind of public defense or something like that, or like troops like some kind of troop who had a political engagement or something like that like the connor lamb guy i think it was a troop yeah. and um and but they don't understand they're like why don't we just have whether so yeah whether it's an actor or whether it's somebody else why don't we just have somebody who's a regular person it doesn't matter if you're a ceo or a troop or whatever just like hey you know what i i work in it and i had this position so it's like, like they, that person can't cash in on their celebrity for sure and that's they're a mountain to climb, but it's like... I, I think the way I see it is, like, I do want people who are experienced. I want people who are experienced as executives specifically. I mean, I would even rather have, like, a CEO 
be, let's say for president, which yeah. is an executive position, I would rather elect a mayor or a governor um, or like a CEO or someone that has been where the buck stops and accountability is held become an, an executive. I think that's the kind of training that prepares you best for it. There's actually um, some scholarship around the idea that in recent generations, Congress people have become elected, have gotten elected to the presidency uh, more frequently than they used to because people kind of un- used to understand that you know Ronald Reagan, the cat, the governor of California, is best suited to become the governor of the, of the country, basically. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and but now in an era where ideology matters much more, and it's kind of you know who is the best slickest talking head, you can get someone like Obama, who was like a fantastic talking head, but who had literally like two years of federal government experience. Yeah. Um, become or four years at that point. Uh, become well, yeah, yeah two thousand four two thousand eight yeah, yeah. yeah this, this state um, experience and I mean like I'm like yeah, an Obama yeah. supporter and everything yeah. but I mean he was he had no executive experience and so um and he did a better job than this the former CEO of uh, the Trump organization yeah. granted <laughs> or yeah. the former governor of Texas uh but or, or the executive producer of The Apprentice <laughs> <laughs> Mark Burnett is not catching enough shit Mark Burnett could bury Trump oh, right yeah. now he has tapes of him doing some horrible things and he's not really I think it. so does Tom Arnold <laughs> <laughs> Hey Roseanne's premiering I know we gotta watch also it. Trump supporter <laughs> yeah anyway yeah so but like in an exigent circumstance which is in this case that no one else is really challenging Cuomo who is going to try to run on the national level. I think it's extremely important that someone come out and say this is not what's reflecting the actual will of progressives in the state. Right. That was the and that's what got the biggest applause breaks at the Cynthia Nixon event where she she said to the effect she's like, "Look, we want actual Democrats that act, actually represent democratic values." The cavalry is not coming yeah. was what was in her, which is a great line. It's yeah, like, she, "No, this is it. Like this is what it looks like to actually insist on, on a progressive in office. And look, she's going to be able to... Here's the thing, is that like she's going to be able to smoke him on a lot of points. She's a smart person, and re- in rhetoric and in debates, she's going to be able to smoke him. She's just going to have lines ready to go. And I think she'll be able to make a case. It's like, be like somebody who's going to cooperate with the biggest city and the biggest economic driver, driver of the city, focus on the, the MTA getting fixed. Look, I, you know, a lot of people in New York State haven't seen the change they needed to see, and this is what I'm going to see. And you're not representing. You're kind of playing both sides against each other in a way to run this weird political operation, which you see as a stepping stone also in your – but to counter – maybe not counter, but yeah – Every governor sees themselves also as a potential president, whether like whether it's a governor of the biggest state in the country where they have to negotiate being seen as a New York or California like governor, or the governor of Hawaii or Arkansas who have to be seen as like oh well they're governors of a small state so they don't get any credit, but like you know see our, our friends like Willie <laughs> and Mike Huckabee. So other, so yes to your point yeah like the okay governors get elected or get more credit more often for being better legislators because they're they are executives and they have to kind of manage. Uh, manage a bit of a team and make hard choices that that split the field but it's like look you know he's he's not really advocating on the policies that people in the the city really and the city mostly but the state don't want either also good governors like just having been in office doesn't mean anything like he's qualified to run the state like Geno Smith is qualified to run an NFL offense like if you're <laughs> shitty at your job then you're bad Geno Gino's gonna have see. Think about Gino's gonna be just fine. He's gonna have a. He has Gino has the best life because he gets to be a perpetual backup quarterback, which is the dream. Like I like you. You don't ever have to. There's no pressure. The dream is to be like a backup quarterback. There is pressure when you take over for Eli Manning. Yeah, that is. (laughs) And then in a a fucking egregiously stupid decision. Well, they just. Well, that wasn't even. And see, that was the thing. I do feel bad for Gino in the sense that he. 
he got blamed. Like, I think people really took a lot out on him, where it was just, like, clearly a Giants ownership looking for a way to fire Ben McAdoo. <laughs> and so they, like, so they just had to put him in a bad... They were like, put Gino in so we can make sure that you are universally hated. Uh, and Do you want to talk about the uh, the recent NFL news? And, and, yeah. Uh, uh, so there was there was smooth, something new that happened today. Smooth transition from our, our serious talk about New York State <laughs> gubernatorial <laughs> politics. Uh, but, yeah, actually, so the NFL, in an effort... And I think it's a direct outcome of this podcast, and I will not be persuaded otherwise. I agree. Um, so all 32 owners of the league the, uh, had uh, unanimously approved a new catch rule. It's the new rules defining a catch. So, Lenny, this is your first time hearing this. this. I have so, not heard this. Yeah, yeah, yeah. so I want you to, to see if you can assess. If you were an NFL, put yourself in your – put your referee cap on. Okay. Um, uh, so the new rules defining a catch include, one, control of the ball. Two, two feet down or another part of the body. Three, a football move such as a third step, <laughs> reaching slash extending for the line to gain yards, or the ability to perform such an act. Okay, so I guess that's better, but that doesn't solve the question of control. Right. Which, which is the entire problem. No, the whole before it was like control of the ball into completion to the ground. So that was the whole issue where it's like even if a guy if I held it, had it, turned around, like landed on my knees. But then, like at some point, f- like like it moved a little bit and it hit the ground. Then that would I be guess incomplete. okay. That, that was ruled. That was like the the Des Bryant catch was kind of yeah, like that. Calvin yeah, Johnson. Yeah, and, yeah. yeah. I, I I guess um, that's the best they could do. I mean, it maybe just philosophically a catch is impossible to. I mean, I if you I I wanted them to somehow define what control meant, like. If if a man has st- well or a person has stopped the ball from flying through the air with two hands and it like doesn't jostle more than once or something like something they control because my th- my thought is that they j- they change the rule for a surface level and then when they have their annual meeting with the referees and be like just call it don't I think the rules were too specific before where they're like just if it looks like if it looks like a catch sounds like a catch it's a catch they yeah. need to I really wanted to see them replace it with a Buffalo Wild Wings style council yeah you know just like <laughs> yeah. every every week a different bar in the US gets to um, vote on like you know or like maybe a consortium of bars so there's no local bias gets to vote on what's a catch or like have a have a council of like X receivers and XDBs vote in, on it. In the, in the, the social debate. in the social media age, that would be such an, an interesting way to engage fans to get like a bunch. What if you got a bunch of neutral fans or like fans from yeah. uh, like and just were like, okay, we just need you to sit in this room and decide whether this is a catch or not. And then yeah, like, or like and just like vote a, on on Twitter or whatever. Give a purpose to like you know those panels of like. Boomer, Steve, Carl, and Josh <laughs> talking guy stuff on the yeah. Well, it'll be interesting because Chris, Chris Collinsworth was one of the ones who was like always like flummoxed and also frustratingly and annoyingly to, like. No, Chris Collinsworth's noises are better than Tony Romo's noises. Tony <laughs> Romo makes a lot of noises. Yeah, but Tony Tony Romo, everyone loves him for like his actual like player analysis. But Chris Collinsworth has got like the old school, just kind of old farty kind of guy. Yeah, I like Chris Collinsworth. Yeah, people, people well, hate on him, but I like him. No, I like Al Michaels the best. You know what we should do one day? Oh, I actually like them both. Uh, I want to do one day a thorough defense of Hawk Harrelson because Hawk Harrelson is going to die soon and he gets a lot of hatred from like White Sox community people and he, I love him. He's like, old school? Oh my God. He yeah. invented batting gloves. Oh my God. Literally. Yeah. Um, yeah, so anyway, well, that's you, for you'll a get a episode. total. You'll get a total homer because my, I will, the Mets broadcast team on both television and radio is the best team, hands down. So 
Let's play ball, everybody, because we got opening day coming up this week. The Brooklyn Comedy Collective is still happening. I still work there, so I haven't been fired yet. I gotta go check that out. Yeah, it's been pretty good. I'm not. Uh, I'll tell you good shows, but there's good shows every week. But um, <laughs> well, show, well, I meant to tell you that I'll I'll show, tell you shows that I'm working, so you, we can be there at the same time. Yeah, okay. <laughs> yeah, those are the good ones. Yeah, yeah, so those are the good ones. Only the ones I work. All right, thanks everybody. This is a good episode of the license. Good night. Good night or good morning. <laughs> <laughs>